Good morning, Four Oaks Church. At long last, September 1st. Yes, it's a Thursday morning. Let me just double check. Yes, September 1st, which means I get to start playing all my James Taylor CDs and listening to September Grass and October Road on repeat. College football season is here, but those are all secondary matters compared to what we're doing this morning, and that's digging into the Word of God. So welcome to Romans Rewind. We take 10 or 15 minutes every weekday morning to unpack a portion of God's Word. We're running concurrently with our preaching series through the Book of Romans that we're doing on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks, and we are in Romans 11. And we have been camping out this week on this idea of assurance, assurance of salvation perseverance. How do you know if you're saved? Once saved, always saved? Or um, how, do, how are we to think about these sorts of, of life and death, spiritual realities in our own life? And what's sparked this is Paul's exhortation in Romans 11. And Paul has been exhorting the Gentile Christians not to be prideful towards ethnic Jews who may not know Jesus. And he's talking about you know, the fact that they come from the root of Abraham, they're dependent upon the ethnic Jews for their history, tradition, um, even Old Testament that's been passed down to them. They ought not to, to be boastful. They stand by faith, not by works. But then Paul uses that as a point to sort of launch into a exhortation or warning um, to them. And we're just trying to understand how this functions in relationship to assurance of salvation, how we're to think about this as believers. Why are um, these sorts of warnings given to, to Christians if, in fact, we are saved by grace, if, in fact, we are ultimately grounded in Christ and justified in him? So let me read the, the text that's in question, and then we're going to unpack this some more. Verse... 22 of Romans 11. Note then, Paul says, the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And let's be honest, we read that, and that's somewhat scary, right? It sounds an awful lot like Paul, you're saying that you can be justified um, and dwelt with Christ, but then God can cut you off like you're perched precipitously on that branch over the abyss of sin, and one little misstep is going to, is going to cut you off. And what we've tried to, to show this week is that's not true. We tried to show why these warnings are given um, to, to groups of believers. It's, it's because... There are some in there that are true Israel. There are some that are that are not. They need to be warned. They they are deceived about who they are. Um, we've talked about how you can't be unjustified. And don't want to go through all those again. If you wanted more information, just just get a hold of those last three episodes from this week. But I do want to talk about how we're to think about works in relationship to the life of the believer. So one of the texts that we were looking at was 1 Corinthians 6. And there, Paul also gives some stark warnings, doesn't he? He talks about neither the sexually immoral or swindlers or gossip or thieves or, I don't think he says gossip's in that 
list, but but you get the idea. He lists this whole litany, right, of 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 sins, of things that characterize sinners. And he said, if you are any of these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then we try to think about, though, how do we square this with what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, makes it crystal clear. We're not saved by um, how well we repent or how well we, um, um, that's not the right way to say it. We're not saved by, by our works. There has to be a heart of repentance, but there, but it doesn't, there, we're not graded, okay, on a scale. We, we, we get to this point and God accepts us, and at this point, he doesn't. Paul says we're saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of yourselves, that no one should boast. So how, how do we square that with this? Well, just to sort of deepen the, 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 the issue here, flip over, because I know you have your Bibles because this is the pastoral devotional time. Hebrews 12, 14. And as we said before, Hebrews is one giant book of warning. So let's look at what Hebrews says about this. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And so he's quoting there Leviticus where, or alluding to it, where God says very clearly, be holy, therefore, as I am holy. And here he makes a very clear statement that without holiness, we won't see God. So again, how are we to think about this with Paul's other teachings, which are crystal clear, and the Bibles, that, that we're saved by grace through faith. And so I've, I've used this analogy before, so bear with me. I mean, I've, I've been at Four Oaks 26 years, and so it's hard to think of a new illustration every single time. But we're going to, so, so bear with me here. But imagine for a second that you are in a court of law and that you are being accused of a crime. You, let's say for sake of example, that you did not, it, it doesn't really matter if you did or didn't commit it, but let's just say you did not commit it. And you have, all of this evidence, okay, that's brought to bear in the course of the trial that points away from your guilt, but towards your innocence. Now, at the end of the day, and the jury deliberates and comes back with a verdict of not guilty, ultimately, right, um, the evidence doesn't definitively prove your guilt or innocence, right? Innocent people can be found guilty. Guilty people can be found innocent. Um, evidence can be weak. Evidence can be strong, right? But what we do want to say is that typically, um, and remember, all analogies are imperfect, so just bear with me. Typically, when the preponderance of evidence points one way or the other, the verdict is rendered accordingly. And that's the way the court of law should work. In an imperfect system, it doesn't always work that way, but you get the you get the analogy. Now, when we think about good works in relationship to God, it's it's somewhat like that. So um, in this case, we're very guilty. However, um, Jesus has declared us, or God has declared us righteous by virtue of the righteousness of Christ. That's our legal verdict. 
And one of the things that Paul makes it very clear in the other scripture writers is that you can't separate justification and sanctification, sanctification, which means as you are declared legally righteous before God, all the, of course, you don't immediately become 100% experientially righteous. You become slowly sanctified. And so what are those works of holiness sanctification doing? Well, they are bearing witness as evidence of the fact that you have been justified, that you have been changed, that you have been declared guilty, because God says that's what happens. Those whom he's called, he's justified, sanctified, glorified. You can't separate those two. A lot of times we try to separate justification, which is the act of God's free grace, declares us not guilty, and then sanctification, which is the process or work of God's grace, which he makes us more of who we are, who he's declared us to be. And so we can very well say then, hopefully this is connecting the dots, just because someone is outwardly righteous or holy doesn't mean they're justified, right? There's lots of good people, lots of, uh, of quote-unquote people the world would say are, are good. They may even appear to be living holier lives, quote-unquote, than, than some Christians. But that in itself does not make someone a Christian, right? Um, just like you can't hang out in your garage and that make you a car. But where do you put cars unless you're at our house, which is totally junked up? In the garage, but you get what I you get where I'm going with this, right? At the same time, if you are truly regenerate, justified, the scriptures again crystal clear that your life will slowly begin to reflect that through good works. Which means when we get to the end of our lives, the good works that we have by God's grace sort of accumulated don't become the basis for our justification, they become the evidence, right? And we, that's why the scripture writers can say, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Because if you get to the end of your life and your life has not changed or someone's life has not changed, regardless of who they say they are, or what, they've, what, they, what they've done outwardly, religiously, it doesn't reflect a changed heart. Good works necessarily flow from a regenerated heart and soul. And I think that's how we're to understand the nature of good works, so that one day um, we will appear before Christ and we will cast our crowns down before him. And these crowns representing our worship and honor, good works, holiness, all those things, they, they, aren't, they aren't the basis by which God says, hmm, how many of those are there? They become the evidence of the fact that we truly are transformed and changed. But again, you see why these warnings are important to people who are deceived about who they are, who think that they've prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, thrown a pine cone in the fire at camp when they were nine, pinned their sin on the cross when they were 10. You, you get the whole baptized in the lake, the whole thing, but yet no change because there's no living faith. There's no active trust. There's no... Um, abiding in Christ. There, there, there's no entrusting of one's life to King Jesus, right? So that's why we say that person hasn't been changed. And the evidence in their life displays that. But those who have the evidence in their life displays something else. 
And that's why there needs to be warnings to groups of Christians, because there are some in there who might call themselves Christians or think of themselves as Christians or deceive others into thinking they're Christians who don't have a changed life at all. And the scripture is very clear to warn those people. But for you in your life, the point is not to look inwardly, obsessively at your own good works to find your assurance, right? You continually run to Christ as you continually find yourself in want and need and a heart of faith and repentance, running to Christ over time as we do that and entrust ourselves to him, his spirit transforms us. All right, so I hope that brings some clarity to some very hard passages we looked at this week. Now, tomorrow, Friday, I want to tee up where we're going to go this Sunday because it's going to be our last sermon in Romans chapter 11, and it's a doozy. It's a big one because Paul sort of peels the curtain back to show us, at least from our limited perspective, um, how God is continuing to work to gather a people to himself, both Jews and Gentiles. But that's tomorrow and Sunday. Let's pray now. Lord, help us to fly to you this morning. As our souls are troubled, our consciousness is um, weak, our, our, our resolve shaky, Lord, we don't just need more strength and more good works. Lord, we need you. We need you to cover us with your grace and mercy. And so we fly to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.